Greetings, users and programs, and welcome to episode number eight of Cactus Flax Podcast, the show in which I will be discussing all of the arcade cabinets I actually owned. I am your host, Rob Flack O'Hara, and on today's show, I will be covering Bucky O'Hare, which was released in 1992 by Konami. Now, before we get started, I have to give a shout out to my friend Dean. Uh, He has been my local arcade connection for a long time, and after hearing a recent episode of Cactus Flax, where I talked about owning a Star Wars cabinet, um... Dean gave me a call and hooked me up with another, albeit uh, empty or gutted, Star Wars cabinet. But it's in really good condition. Of course, the uh, flight yoke is missing and the front is missing. But the side art is in pretty good condition. And uh, and everything's pretty much, uh, I mean, you know, structurally, everything's there. Now, I don't think I'm probably going to turn it into... Uh, or restore it to be a Star Wars cabinet, but I'm uh, considering a few different options. I actually, uh, his suggestion was I turn it into a Star Wars display cabinet (laughs) for some of my uh, uh, Star Wars collectibles, but uh, I'm actually thinking about um, turning it into a Star Wars-themed main cabinet and just putting all the different Star Wars games on it. So I don't know what I'm going to do yet, but uh, uh, thanks to Dean for hooking me up with that, so... So we're going to kick off the show, as usual, with a review of the game, which is Bucky O'Hare, followed by my memories of owning uh, this particular cabinet. Complex and the Eagle Toad Empire is planning to enslave the entire universe. Their most ruthless weapon is the Climate Converter. The fate of the universe is in the hands of Bucky O'Hare, brave captain of the righteous indignation, and his fearless crew, mysterious Jenny the Aldebaran Cat, four-armed ex-space pirate Jedi Duck, android first-class Blinky, Cruiser the Berserker Baboon, and first boy genius Willie DeWitt. Bucky O'Hare is a side-scrolling fighter similar to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or The Simpsons and those other Konami uh, four-player type games. The object is basically to beat all the levels and get to the end. And I suppose Konami's object is to get you to input as many quarters (laughs) as you have in your pocket to achieve that goal. Uh, The control panel, there are two-player and four-player versions of this game. So depending on which cabinet you see, you'll see either uh, two joysticks or four joysticks with three buttons per player. The cabinet is a, the two-player cabinet is just a generic uh, Konami, or it may just be a generic, uh, uh, most of them were just kits that I saw for sale. Um, in the UK, I believe the four player version shipped, uh, inside the same cabinet as the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cabinet. Um, and one funny thing about this cabinet, if you Google, uh, this cabinet or this game, and a lot of the ones you will see is a cabinet with a, uh, like a black cabinet with the green writing on the side and a orange sticker uh, on the marquee. That's my cabinet. (laughs) That picture is from my cabinet. Uh, It was uploaded to KLOV and it has made the rounds. In fact, I was doing some research for this show, uh, Googled uh, uh, this cabinet and you wouldn't believe how many pages are using that uh, graphic as an example, which 
the cabinet I owned wasn't a great example of this game. But there you go. That's how that stuff uh, gets out there. A brief review of the game, the storyline, and this is cut and pasted right off of uh, KLV, I believe. Uh, it says, the storyline of Bucky O'Hare follows a parallel universe, or the Aniverse, where a war is ongoing between the slightly inept United Animals Federation, which is run by mammals, and the sinister Toad Empire. The Toad Empire is led by a vast computer system known as Complex, which has brainwashed the Toad population. Uh, this is based on, well, I should say Bucky O'Hare was originally a comic book that came out in the mid-1980s. Uh, there was a television show that ran for, I believe, just one season in 1991. And based off of that, two games were released. This arcade game and an NES game. And the two games are not the same game, so they are different games. Um, a lot of people say that this arcade game actually brought closure to the series. Um, you know, at the uh, end of the series, Bucky O'Hare and his pals had not uh, defeated Complex and the Toad Empire, but that is basically what you do in this game. So it kind of, in a way, is a wrap-up to the television uh, cartoon series. There are four characters that you can play. It's Bucky O'Hare, Ginny the Aldebaran Cat, uh, Deadeye Duck, and then there is a robot named Blinky. Uh, you have unlimited bullets, just like all those types of games, so you can just shoot forever. And there are ten different stages, and every stage has its own boss at the end, so you will fight the mini-boss uh, at the end of each level, and then when you get to the end, you will actually uh, go to battle with Complex. Uh, graphics, this is 16-bit uh, era graphics. Uh, one thing that sticks out to me about this game, uh, there are two things I would say. The first is there are a lot of uh, animations or more just like almost like comic book style cutscenes where it'll be a... a you know, just a, a picture that looks like it came from a comic book, but it may zoom out or rotate different things like that. Uh, so there are a lot of those type of things. And then uh, I, I guess that's that's really the biggest thing. And of course, there's a long introduction at the beginning that feels like it's part of a cartoon series. Uh, and I think a lot of the Konami games like Simpsons, I know, had that uh, similar thing where where it was almost like you were watching a cartoon episode and then it kicked into the game. Uh, the music. There's uh, great music. There's a lot of sound effects. Uh, I don't have any problem with any of that stuff in the game. Uh, and the game features the original voice cast from the cartoon. So that's another uh, tie-in back to the cartoon series and why a lot of people feel like this was a continuation uh, of that. Again, uh, this version of the game was only released in the arcade. So if you want to try this out, you'll have to try it out on MAME. Uh, the uh, NES version is a platform-type game. So it has the same name, but uh, it's a, a completely different game. Let's bring everything around to where we are in my timeline. Now, if you'll recall, at the beginning, 
uh, of this podcast series. I had purchased Elevator Action, and I had moved it into a mobile home. Then my wife and I had bought uh, a house in El Reno, Oklahoma, and while I was there, I purchased, I had a total of six games at that uh, house, and then I got a job halfway across the country. I got a job in Spokane, Washington, which was a little over 1,800 miles from where I lived in Oklahoma, and I didn't know anything about where we were going to live. I didn't know anything about, uh, I didn't know anything about anything really. And so, uh, I put all my games up for sale because I knew, uh, that we were probably at least for, uh, some mm-hmm. amount of time going to be living in a, um, a hotel or not a hotel, but a apartment complex or something. And it turns out we lived in Spokane for about a year and a half and we were in an apartment the whole time. And, um, uh, so I didn't want to move the games. I didn't want to haul the games to Spokane, try to sell them or whatever. So I, I basically had, you know, a fire sale more or less. And I talked about, you know, I sold some of the games for $25, Some of them, uh, you know, the Star Wars cabinet uh, that <laughs> may have just needed a fuse. I literally gave to someone who came and bought a different game. So, uh, and this was all in 1996. So the summer of 1996, I sold my complete collection of six games and moved to Spokane, Washington, where I lived until the spring of 1998. In 1998, I got a a job opportunity back home here in Oklahoma. So I moved back to Oklahoma and uh, we bought a house and it was a three bedroom house, you know, I don't know, 1600 or 1700, somewhere in there uh, square feet. So not a lot of room for arcade games. Uh, And, uh, so (laughs) I, uh, and we lived there for a couple of years, but in 2001, we moved from that house. So we lived in that house for three years and we moved to a new house. Uh, and this house was bigger. It was about 2,400 square foot. Uh, some of that was a bonus room. That was upstairs, which was kind of my man cave. Everything else was downstairs. I had four bedrooms instead of three, so I had a little bit more room. But out back, in the backyard, it had a shed. I guess you would call it a shed. It was a building that was on a uh, wooden foundation. If you There's a lot of building codes if you put something on a concrete foundation that if you put it on uh, or if you put it on a concrete slab, you have to follow a lot of building codes. But if you put it on wood it's not considered to be a permanent structure. So you can get around a lot of, uh, building codes, I guess from the outside, uh, it just looked like a little small building. It was uh, 14 feet wide and 32, no 40 feet deep. Uh, and then it had a little porch on the front, you know, with some windows and some chairs on the porch. It had a, a, uh, combination air conditioner heater built into the window. And there was a little loft in the back. And the people that had lived there before us used it as uh, a workshop. So there was a bunch of scraps of wood in there and sawdust and uh, it wasn't painted. Everything was, you know, wood color, <laughs> like plywood color. Uh, and so I was really into music at the time. I thought about turning it into a music studio, um, but uh, literally I didn't do anything with that building for two years. Uh, just sat there. We didn't use it. We didn't, I think we put some bicycles in it for storage. 
but that was it. We we never went in the building. We literally had uh, there was our yard, which was a half acre, and then there was a half acre uh, between us and the next house, and then and then and the next house, and the the lawn in between the two of us had been split. So we had like you know three fourths of an acre. It was really wide yard. So we had a pool. Uh, and like an above ground pool next to the house. And then the building was, was next to that. So, uh, it was kind of in the back corner. So it wasn't like you'd walked past it every day. I mean, I could, I could see it, you know, but, uh, uh, you know, I didn't have any reason to go in there and I didn't need the space. So it just kind of sat back there. So I thought about turning it into, you know, kind of a man cave. I didn't really have a uh, a concept of what I wanted to do with it. But, but I knew I had this space and it was sitting out there and it was usable, you know? So, it so, um, uh, I ended up, uh, and I, I'm kind of, well, I'm, I'll tell you this in order, but then we're going to jump back to the sale. So I, I went to, uh, an arcade auction and I bought two games. One of those was Bucky O'Hare and one of the, uh, the other one was Shinobi. And we've already talked about Shinobi, so I'm not going to dedicate a whole nother episode to a game we've already talked about, but I bought, uh, another Shinobi, the second Shinobi machine, uh, and, uh, Bucky O'Hare. And so I knew I wanted to do something with them, but I didn't have any idea what yet. So I brought them home and I just had them in my garage and every now and then I would go out in the garage and play them, but you know, it's not very arcade like or anything, but, uh, uh, I enjoyed, you know, just having them out in the garage. Well, my wife is a doer. <laughs> I'm not a doer. Um, I mean, I'm a doer online. Like I record podcasts and I set up websites and I do things like that. But my wife, um, I mean, she gets stuff done and she came up with a plan for that building. And her plan was for my 30th birthday to turn it into an eighties arcade. So sometimes at night or in the evenings, or I would go hang out with a friend or whatever, she would go back in the building and she had put some drapes over the window. So you couldn't see in there. And at one point I was like, are you doing something out in that building? And she said, yeah, but I don't want you to go out there. And I said, okay. And, and, you know, I've never been one to spoil my own Christmas presents or birthday presents. I, I don't believe in that. Uh, and honestly, the only thing I could think of was that she had maybe bought me a motorcycle and was hiding it. <laughs> I don't know why I thought that, uh, but I thought maybe she had hidden a motorcycle out there, but I, I wasn't going to go look, you know, uh, but she was out there. And then at one point her and her sister were out there, you know? So on my 30th birthday, uh, my wife set up a lunch and told all my friends at work to come over to the house. And so we all came to my house and uh, my wife said, okay, now we're going to go see. So this is probably like 10 of my coworkers. My wife says, we're going to go see Rob's 30th birthday present. So we go back to the building. I'm like, oh, I mean, and it could be a motorcycle. It could be a horse. It could be, <laughs> there's no telling on no, my wife, you know, and she opens the door and it is, uh, like it's not really an arcade. It looks like a fifties diner. That's the best way I can explain it. So let me tell you what I saw. Uh, the very first thing I saw was 
that well, she had put down black and white tiled carpet. So she had bought these square carpet tiles. I guess they're like a foot and a half by a foot and a half, um, maybe two foot by two foot. Uh, but the whole thing was checkered black and white carpet. She had painted the walls white before they were wood color. Uh, and there was rope lighting around the ceiling. So she had rope lighting that ran all the way around. There was a large uh, black, or no, red uh, bar with a couple of bar stools next to it. So there was a bar. Um, and my mom had purchased me a mini refrigerator and a microwave. And so those were set up in there. And my dad had purchased a slot machine and it was sitting on the bar. Uh, and then, uh, my wife had bought a air hockey table and a, uh, bumper pool table. So those were both in there. And then there were decorations hanging on the wall, uh, a few other odds and ends and, you know, and, uh, the two arcade games that I owned were out there. So it was like this, you know, a complete, man cave area. I I didn't even know what to say. I mean, it is one of the coolest things that anybody has ever done for me in my life, you know? Uh, and everybody, you know, all my friends are like, wow. I mean, like one friend said, you know, my wife took me out to dinner for my birthday <laughs> and my wife <laughs> built me an arcade <laughs> and stocked it with stuff, you know? Um, so that was, the birth of the arcade. Now, as time went on, uh, and as we'll uh, talk about later on uh, in other episodes, I did not keep all of the things that uh, she had purchased and put in the arcade. Um, more and more as time went on, as I bought more arcade games, I had to move some of the other things out uh, to make more room for arcade games. So I... Um, you know, at one point I sold the air hockey table <laughs> and I got rid of the bumper pool table and, uh, you know, slowly, uh, as, as the time went on pretty much, uh, by the end I had gotten rid of everything and, uh, had moved arcade games everywhere in there, not just around the walls and around the back and in the middle and everywhere else. Uh, so, uh, I, I, it seems like I went on a quest to see how many arcade games I could put in this building. So we are at the beginning of that era. We have the arcade, which is in the back of my house. Now, uh, one thing that made this thing a pain in the butt is that there was no paved path that went to my arcade. So when I bought and sold games, I had to put them on a dolly. I had to go buy a dolly with inflatable wheels. Uh, and then I would strap it, uh, on, you know, strap the game to the dolly using one of those tie down straps. And then I would have to wheel it across the grass. Uh, I would have to open the, the stockade fence and there was a, a strip of concrete and I would have to hit it real fast so I could kind of jump over it <laughs> because I, I, I couldn't push it over there. And if you turn around and pulled it through, then the fence would just bang the arcade cabinets. Uh, and then I have to push it all the way across the yard. And then there were two concrete steps that led up inside the arcade. Uh, so I would either have to get somebody to help me push the games up the steps, or I learned uh, that I could go forward, stand the game up on the, uh, 
porch area and then wiggle myself around and then turn the game around 180 degrees and wheel it in. So, you know, over time I got better moving things in and out uh, of the arcade, but it was definitely an ordeal. Uh, it was never anything as simple as, you know, because I couldn't get a car up close enough to it. Uh, so it wasn't like I could just back up with my truck and dump it out. I had to take games, you know, in and out of the garage or out of the driveway and then <laughs> wheel them all the way through the yard. So that that was um, definitely one thing that made it a pain to move games in and out of the arcade. But uh, so I, as I had mentioned before, I had gone to uh, an arcade auction and this was before I had the arcade. So it was before I really knew what I was going to do with this. Uh, and you know, I had gone to him before when I lived at the old house. So I kind of knew what to expect. Uh, and again, what I had learned was that games that were older classics, again, like Donkey Kong, Miss Pac-Man, Centipede, those types of games, uh, the values were starting to go up. Collectors were interested in those type of games and games that were brand new that people were making money on. Again, this was 2001, 2002. So games, you know, 2000 and newer, let's say, uh, were expensive because people were putting those on site and making money. But that whole era of the early to mid nineties, those games had fallen through the cracks. Nobody seemed to be collecting those. Nobody wanted them and they were really inexpensive. So when I went to the auction, I didn't have any games in mind that I was looking for. I remember, Games like Donkey Kong uh, and Miss Pac-Man selling for, you know, 500, 600, that range, which was uh, more than I could afford at that time. Um, but I found that Shinobi. And I bought that Shinobi. I want to say I paid 50 or 100 bucks for it or something. And then um, I saw this game. I um, was not familiar with Bucky O'Hare. I had never heard of the TV show. I hadn't. Uh, I was not a comic book fan. And literally the reason I bought this game uh, is because it said O'Hare, and my last name is O'Hara. So I thought, well, that would be fun <laughs> to have in the arcade. Plus, it was that side beat em up type of game, you know, like The Simpsons, uh, like uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and stuff. So I thought, you know, those kind of games are sort of fun. But I don't think I had ever seen this game before in my life and uh, was not familiar with the character Bucky O'Hare. Uh, at all, but the game worked, monitor worked, the joystick and buttons worked, uh, and I paid a hundred dollars for it. It was in a Bally Sente cabinet, which again, if you Google, uh, looking for Bucky O'Hare cabinets and you see a black cabinet with some green stripes, that was, uh, my cabinet. So you, <laughs> you will be able to see what kind of cabinet, um, this was in. Uh, and again, when I bought it, I, I didn't have the arcade set up yet. So I just put it in my garage. It was right outside the garage door. And sometimes at night I would walk out there and, and play it, uh, and play Shinobi. That's, you know, that was really, I didn't have any long-term aspirations of owning an arcade or setting it up. Uh, I just, you know, bought those games and thought it would be, uh, uh, something fun to do. I, uh, I did not do any technical repairs to this game as long as I owned it. it. It worked and functioned the whole time that I had it, which is more than I can say for a lot of the games that I'll be talking about <laughs> in future episodes. Um, so when later on, fast forward many years, when we moved out of that house, um, we were, uh, I had to empty that shed out. And so I moved this game to a storage unit 
and I put it, um, no, this is uh, actually before I even moved it. Uh, we had a storm come through and it ripped some of the shingles off of the building and rain got in the building and soaked this cabinet. And if you've ever seen, um, I mean, this was not, uh, you know, plywood era. This was like, I guess it's, uh, it's not even particle board. It's like that MDF, uh, you know, like, like glue, it's like sawdust glued into the shape of wood. And when you get that stuff wet, it just explodes. I mean, it bloats up and just turns brittle. You can pick it apart with your hands. Uh, and that's what happened to this cabinet is uh, it got wet. Uh, and the, the bottom of it was like three or four inches wider than the top. <laughs> it just soaked the water in uh, and it was terrible. So uh, I ended up, uh, I mean, the cabinet was ruined. And so I pulled the board out and I put it online for sale. And I said, um, uh, Bucky O'Hare. And someone asked me if it was the two player or the four player version. Well, in my cabinet, it was a two player version. So I said it was two player. Um, and I had someone offer me a lot of money for it. And they told me it was rare. Uh, and I, I sold them, uh, you know, the kit basically, like I sold them the, the marquee and the control panel, and the motherboard, um, I, I sold it through someone else. Uh, you know, so I told the guy what I had. He picked it up, and he sold it to um, one of his customers. Well, what I came to find out later is that uh, it can be a two-player or a four-player game. There's a jumper, uh, I think a dip switch, that toggles it between. So there is no, uh, as far as I know, there's not a dedicated two-player or dedicated four-player version. You could toggle between the two. So... Uh, in retrospect, I think I might've lied to this guy, <laughs> uh, and told him that this was something rare when it really wasn't. But, uh, if it was, he never complained about it. And, and I took my money and, and, uh, you know, made more from the parts. And this is the way arcade games are. The parts are worth more than the game. You know, every cabinet that I paid a hundred dollars for, I could have taken the monitor out if it worked and sold the monitor for a hundred bucks. I mean, and broke even. And then Everything else, you know, you sell for a profit. Now, I never wanted to do that, um, especially if you love arcade games like I do. You know, it, it seems a little, um, uh, I don't know, sacrilegious. Maybe that might be too strong of a word. But, um, but uh, yeah, so I, I made my money back and didn't even have the cabinet. Uh, I checked online on Exidy's price guide, and uh, the current value for these for Bucky O'Hare is 300 to $350. So that's... Um, it looks like it's gone up a little bit. Of course, you have to adjust uh, for, uh, you know, inflation and things. But I th I'm sure even with inflation, that seems like a little bit more than uh, uh, 100 bucks back then. Uh, I checked on eBay, and there are no dedicated or converted cabinets. But um, the PCBs, holy cow, uh, there are ones listed from the, the cheapest one was 249 and the most expensive one is $600. Uh, so I think... This may, uh, you know, have hit that collector market of people that either like the cartoon or they like the Konami type games or whatever. So I don't know who's who's paying that kind of money. But I'll tell you what's even more crazy. I found uh, the Nintendo cartridge, and those are $150 or more. And by more, I mean they go way up. They're a lot more. Uh, so I maybe it has to do with the franchise, but holy mackerel. I, I, you know, I watched a YouTube video of the NES one. I <laughs> Let's put it this way. I'm sure I have it in a stack of, uh, you know, ROMs for emulators, and I've never played it. <laughs> so I won't play it for free. I sure wouldn't pay $150 for it. But um, 
would I buy this game again? <sighs> That's a toughie. And, you know, I don't want to say no to everyone because it just makes it sound like I don't want to own arcade games anymore. Um, but, you know, if, especially if I had a finite amount of space, I mean, if I had enough room for five or ten cabinets, then of course not. I, I would not uh, repurchase this. And one, uh, I suppose, drawback to all of these types of quarter-munching games that you can continue infinitely in is that once you own the game and you're no longer paying for quarters, it takes the entire uh, challenge out of the game. And and, uh, I, you know, I'm doing 50 episodes of this podcast and you should count how many times I say that because I'm sure I will repeat myself, uh, in future episodes. And I may have already said that, but, um, you know, in games like gauntlet games like this, where you can keep putting quarters in to continue playing. I mean, all I had to do, I mean, if I wanted to win the entire game, just put in a million credits and I could have played it forever. And, uh, it just kind of takes away, you know, from that, uh, seeing how far you can get, you know, you could impose your own rules. You could say, Oh, let's see how far I could get on one credit or whatever. But eh, I never had the willpower to do that. So, um, you know, I, am not a huge Bucky O'Hare fan. I did find a Bucky O'Hare, uh, VHS tape one time at a thrift store. And I also found a Bucky O'Hare action figure. And, uh, I had those sitting on top of the arcade cabinet. When I got rid of the cabinet, I, uh, I kept those. So on my little, uh, shelf and uh i have a shelf in my star wars room well I, a big set of shelves of uh, non-star wars toys you know and that's where the uh, california raisins are and the scooby-doo <laughs> figures and stuff uh and the uh, bucky o'hare stands over there so eh, good for him uh i don't really have any final thoughts uh, that I haven't covered on this game. Like I said, I, uh, it was an okay game and I thought it was fun. And, and, um, but like all those, uh, Konami games, uh, you could get so far on skill, but after a while it was, it wasn't fair. It just got to a point where there were so many robots and lasers, uh, that you just got the feeling that the game was trying to kill you. Uh, and I'm sure it was and try to get a little bit more money out of you. So I wasn't, uh, you know, I don't hate it, but I just wasn't uh, particularly attached to it. This was literally a game that I bought, uh, you know, just because I wanted to have a game. And I always thought if I ran out of room, this is one that I could uh, pretty easily part with. But unfortunately, uh, it never broke down. So <laughs> if it broke down, I would have got rid of it. But uh, instead, it lasted uh, almost till the end. So uh, I think uh, I think that's uh, everything I have to say about Bucky O'Hare. Thanks for listening to another episode of Cactus Flax. You can find more episodes of Cactus Flax over at podcast.robohara.com. If you'd like to contact me, send me an email at robohara at robohara.com. Find me on Twitter at Commodore or follow this page on facebook.com forward slash Cactus Flax. You can also leave a voicemail on the Rob O'Hara podcast hotline, which is area code 405-486-YDKF. Cactus Flax is a proud member of Throwback Network, your home for quality retro podcasts. To find this and other retro-themed podcasts, visit throwbacknetwork.net. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>